0: Bi show. Hello everybody. I'm Avis Scalarcep. I am back. I know it's been a long time. Way too long, but I'm back and we are finally back rolling again. My apologies for for the time away. It's been it's been 3 months now, more than 3 months. Uh but I'm back and we're back to get things rolling again. Get the show back going again. And you know, we were, we we're going pretty well. We we had a good run uh heading into March and for those of you who don't know what happened, uh, the show got put on the shelf uh, when I came down with COVID nineteen. Uh, had a pretty pretty bad case. Uh, ended up with COVID pneumonia. Was in the hospital for a week, and uh, it was rough rough go. Rough go. But you know, I was able to get over it. And to be fair, the show should have come back about a month ago. But it's been a lot of playing catch up. A lot of like you know projects that got put on the shelf other things that got put on the shelf while I was sidelined uh, but I'm back I'm feeling good and and, and I'm here to, to get the show back rolling again and uh, it's been it's been too long it's been too long and, and I miss it and I and I know I get people all the time on social media asking me the when when's the podcast coming back when's the show coming back so we're here we're back in, in this episode I, I'll, I'll apologize in advance it's not gonna be the best episode uh, it's gonna hopefully it'll be all right hopefully it'll, it'll give you a reason to want to keep listening uh, as, a, as we kind of find our feet again uh, with the show, because obviously the, the SBI the shows had had its breaks before some lo- much longer than this, this most recent break. But, uh, you know, I, I know that there, there, there are plenty of people who have followed it over the years and, and, and who enjoy it. And I definitely enjoy doing it. So I'm just glad that that I'm back and we're able to get things going again. So much has happened in the three months since the last show. And you know with one episode you can you can't really take an episode to get back and talk about all all the huge storylines all the huge stories that happened in these past 3 months i'm hoping to catch up on some of them over the course of the next few episodes um because i mean when you talk about nations league and 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 all the dramatics of the nations league if you go further back to to olympic qualifying and the failed olympic qualifying tournament which actually i watched while i was in the hospital so uh pretty crazy uh just sitting there and You know, as much as I was really, really messed up and in really, really bad shape, I was still watching these games. I still had my computer, you know, trying to track this stuff because I'm because I'm crazy. Obviously, we want to talk about all these things uh, in the next few episodes. But it's tough, right? Because you have three months of things to catch up on. But... You have new things that are already coming that are, already, you know, you, you have the Gold Cup around the corner. You have the Olympics with the U.S. Women's National Team around the corner. Uh, you have MLS, obviously, in full swing right now. So, so there, there's so many different topics to, to get into. But first things first, we'll, we'll, we'll talk Gold Cup, uh, which is coming up. Actually, the, the deadline for the roster for the final 23-man roster for the Gold Cup. Is is coming up? It's this week. uh, It's June thirtieth, and Greg Berhalter is going to have to make some some tough decisions there on the roster. And it's interesting. CONCACAF has uh, allowed teams or given teams uh, a a sixty player preliminary roster to fill. Right. So teams uh, announced or gave CONCACAF their lists of sixty players, which you know in the past you're talking forty players, thirty five players. Now we get sixty players, which is kind of crazy, right? Number one, that's crazy in itself, 60. I mean, it's great because you see a long list of names, you see people, you get a sense of who the national team coach is kind of looking at, who's on their radar. So the list obviously was was a good list and plenty of talent, plenty of young players on there, which I'm sure a lot of people were excited about. People always love love seeing and knowing that, that the U.S. national team is looking at some young players, some prospects on their way up, even though realistically speaking, some of those players, not really that close to, to being on the final squad, but... It's kind of a good, it's kind of a good boy there. A, a, a good n- little pat on the back to let those players know, hey, we were watching, we see you, we see that you're coming along, and you've made your way at least onto that part of the radar. And obviously, when you get down from fifty nine to twenty three, uh, there's a lot of trimming that still needs to go on there, and uh, we'll, we'll see what Greg Berhalter does. You know, I think the most interesting thing about the preliminary roster is that for so long now we've expected. This to be an MLS team, right? All MLS or mostly maybe, you know, maybe one random European based player or unattached player could be on the team. That was kind of the general idea. But now we know that Greg Berhold has been working on getting some European based players for this tournament. And obviously that's never easy because of the timing of this particular uh, competition. Uh, this Gold Cup is taking place in July uh, final is uh, I believe August first. You're talking about European teams in their preseasons. They, European teams have already started to to get into their preseason camps. So you know if you're if you're a European based player, you know unless you're in a very kind of comfortable situation where. And even then, even if you're an established player and, and you know you're not you're not worrying about getting dropped or worrying about you know your position on the team, you're in that position. You're an important player for your team, so your team isn't going to want to necessarily have you miss preseason. And first things first, yes, the Gold Cup is an official competition. Teams can ask for whoever they want, um, but again, it's it's about what's best for the players uh, because this this Gold Cup, as much as every tournament matters, this Gold Cup isn't. You know, with the Gold Cup being every two years, traditionally, it's, you know, there's one Gold Cup that, you know, used to be the more important, quote unquote, more important Gold Cup. Everyone would send their A-teams. There was a Confederations Cup spot on the line, and that Gold Cup mattered a lot more. And then the one the next two years and the in the alternating two years that was kind of the more the b team c team gold cup uh it, it, it usually happened along the same time as the olympics or, or you know other competitions so so teams the bigger teams at least uh the us and mexico's uh could, could send weaker teams right and so that gold cup was generally not not as as strong a gold cup not as prestigious a gold cup and this is that tournament Right. And, you know, obviously it was supposed to happen last year. Didn't happen. So here we are. You you have the U.S., which is obviously sending. It's going to be an MLS based, mostly MLS based team. Mexico is, although their preliminary roster was pretty strong. I wonder how many of those players are actually going to be part of that Gold Cup team. The Me- Mexico also has a team in the Olympics, which obviously the U.S. does it. But Mexico has a team in the Olympics. So some players are going to be there. Long winded way of saying that. You know, th- this, this isn't the tournament where Greg Berhalter is going to, f- you know, fight a bloody battle with these European, the top bigger European clubs over, you know, Christian Pulisic, Wesson McKinney, Gio Reyna, Serginio Dest. These players need, you know, they need to focus on their preseasons and getting into really strong starts to their campaign. And above all, the most important thing, World Cup qualifying is around the corner. World Cup qualifying starts beginning of September. U S training camp, or uh, you know, all teams training camps will, will be in August, late August. So if you're thinking about the timeline, players report to their European clubs in early July, they get into their camps, they get to start the building, the match fitness. And then for a lot of these players, there's not only the club seasons, but champions league, champions league starts up. Maybe some teams are in champions league qualifying or in kind of the early stages of champions league. So they're focused on that July heading into August. So, then come out, mid to late August, you're ready to be in World Cup qualifying camp. So obviously, the the, the, the top players, the top U.S. players that are over in Europe, those you you're leaving them to follow that path to follow the, you know, getting the nice vacation, which is you know above all you want them to you know to get you recharge the batteries, especially as considering how many of these guys played a ton of minutes last year, so a lot of these a lot of these European based players, the top ones played more minutes than they ever have in their careers, right? And so when you have that happen, you want to make sure that they get a proper vacation, proper recharge, because it's going to be a crazy, 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 crazy uh, few months ahead. Because if you think about it, right, look at a Christian Pulisic, look at a West McKinney, G Arena, where they have their, their club seasons, Bundesliga, Premier League, Serie A, and the Champions League. And then you have World Cup qualifying where they're going to be playing a crazy schedule of three games in a week or three games in eight days, uh, multiple windows. So these players are going to be playing a ton of games. And uh, so when you when you factor all that in, that is why this Gold Cup team is not going to be the A team. And I know some people still don't get it. Some people are like, why? It's a tournament. There's a trophy. You got to have everybody. Bring everybody. Why isn't Berhalter fighting with these teams and getting everybody he wants because that's just not the way, like, that's just not the practical way to look at it, right? It's just not. And at the end of the day, World Cup qualifying matters a bazillion times more than this particular Gold Cup, right? And I know some people say, wait a minute, why, why did you send the A-team to the Nations League? Again, it's timing. Nations League, when it was, in June, perfect opportunity to bring all the teams, bring the team together, the A-team, the full strength team, bring it together. And have them play in a competition that was obviously a great competition for them. And the other teams took it that way as well. Mexico sent their full team. Costa Rica and Honduras sent their mostly full teams, right? I mean, obviously, Keller Navas, you know, who knows? You know, we all know about the drama in Costa Rica with Keller Navas. But it was a great competition. And it clearly was a, a great, even if the U.S. hadn't won, right? It was still a great decision to, to focus on the Nations League and focus on building a, a, a collection of games around that. Because we had the friendly against Switzerland before the Nations League. You had the Nations League. And then you had the friendly against Costa Rica. So you had the four games. U.S. won three, lost the, the, that friendly against the, Swiss, the Switzerland, against the Swiss. But overall, success, right? It worked out. The, the A team got a chance to win a trophy together and, and, and experience the U.S.-Mexico rivalry. So it, it, it went as well as you could possibly have hoped. Now you have the Gold Cup, and now it's an opportunity to really dig into this player pool to fill out the squad you're going to need for world cup qualifying, because as crazy as this schedule is going to be in qualifying, you are going to need a deeper team. You're going to need to be able to rotate players. You, you, you're going to need to be able to rest some guys and, and, and have that option and that luxury of, of managing these schedules and managing these three game windows and these three game qualifying sets of games that you're going to have. So the, this Gold cup, As much as, quote unquote, it's not important compared to some other like other gold cups and other competitions, it does matter and it will serve a purpose and it does serve a purpose. And that purpose is giving Greg Berhalter the chance to look at some new faces and also to look at some guys who've already been in the group, but who he can now see again, see where they are, see where they stand. Uh, And, you know, I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to seeing the group that he calls in and that. Uh, that he gets together because that that is for me. Th- th- when I look at that player pool, when I look at that fifty nine player uh, preliminary roster, I mean, I see so much. I see so much potential, and and just so much uh, promise. And well, but but people, this is what I need to say, and not to everybody, but it's some people who just don't. They just don't get it. They just don't understand. You know, you cannot just bring in a team of all young players you can't just bring a u20 team and say listen these guys are all good let's get them together let them learn from each other and and, and experience it. no this is not how it works you got to have balance you got to have some veterans you got to have some young guys you got to have some of those guys obviously that are in their prime and and that balance matters in terms of constructing a squad in terms of building the locker room setting and 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 giving you those younger players some veterans to look up to, some veterans to learn from, and, and having some veterans who kind of know what to expect, some veterans who have been there in these kind of situations. And, and I just feel like some people just don't understand that. They just say, like, why are we calling these guys? And this guy's old. He's gonna, He's not going to matter for Qatar. It's not always about that, folks. Uh, that, that's what I think there's a blind spot. If there's a blind spot among amongst amongst. I think fans in general, not to just single out American soccer fans or U.S. men's national team fans, um, but there is that blind spot when it comes to trying to understand the value of veteran players and understanding the value of experience in the locker room and having that element. Because it's all well and good that there are this many amazingly promising young Americans. It is great. Take, trust me, I've been around for you know 25 years covering this thing. There's never been this much talent before ever by a long shot. It's crazy how much young talent there is right now in the US pipeline. But having said that, you still have to understand you can't put a team of 23 kids together, you can't. I don't care how talented it is, this group, how talented a group of 23 youngsters you can bring in together, it is more than, it's more than likely gonna crash and burn when you don't have any experience in, in there. You don't have some veterans, some leaders, you just need that, you always need that. So long-winded way of saying don't go crazy if Greg Baralda calls in some veterans because he, he's going to. He's going to call in some. And what's crazy now is that some people, some people look at certain players and, and say, oh, they're, 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 they're washed up. Why are we still looking at him? And he's 26. I'm like, are we serious now? Like, I get it. Times have changed. And what was young you know, 10 years ago for an American player is not young anymore because now you got 18-year-olds, 17-year-olds uh, getting first-team minutes. Getting you know starting for their club teams that that was unheard of even ten years ago right like in the in terms of a consistent basis but that's changed that's changed so much uh, but even with those changes it has not changed the value of veteran of, a, of having veteran presence in your locker room so for me you still need it and uh, you know I, that's kind of what I'm curious to see about this. US Gold Cup team when Berhalter picks that team finally is what? who will the veterans be and how young a team will he call uh, you know I did my projected I did a projected 23 man Gold Cup roster and it was pretty young it was pretty young there was a good number of teenagers on there but there were also some veterans because you need some so uh, you know just to take a quick look at some of the kind of key for me some of the key things to look at when I saw the preliminary roster Julian Green is on it, and as I mentioned earlier, Greg Berhalter had, uh, I believe, it was eight non MLS base players in the fifty nine. And you might say, well, why does it matter when you have that many names? He probably just threw names on. I do think there is some MLS players that he put on there that have really not much of a chance to make the Gold Cup team. But I have to think, and I am pretty safe in, in, in believing that the foreign base players, the European based players, plus Johnny Cardozo, those players are on this list. Very specifically because Greg Berhalter is working on or has worked on getting them available for this Gold Cup, and that and that that's interesting. That's interesting because you look at some of these names. Um, Reg, obviously Reggie Cannon for me was the most surprising one. Although that one there's very specific uh, kind of strategy involved with that one. Uh, for those who don't know, Reggie Cannon, he's currently on the books at Boavista.com. Vista. You know, he played his first full season, at Boa Vista had a great first season, he started the entire season, helped them avoid relegation, but he's ready to move on, he wants to leave, he wants to go somewhere else, there's obviously interest in him, there's there's plenty of interest on the transfer market for Reggie Cannon, but no deal has been made yet, right? So if you're Reggie Cannon, you want to move, he doesn't want to go back to Boa Vista, based on my understanding, he does not want to go back to Boa Vista, so he, if you're Greg Berhalter, you know this. You know he doesn't want to go back to Voa Vista. A transfer is pretty much 99% uh, sure of happening. Then if you can take him and bring him to your Gold Cup team, bring his experience, bring his kind of maturity, as much as he's, in, like when we say veterans, right? Like Reggie Cannon is not an old older player, right? He's a young youngish player, but he has experience in terms of he's played in Gold Cup. He started in a Gold Cup final. He played in the 2019 Gold Cup. Uh, and obviously he's played in in some big games. He just he played he came on in the in the Nations League final. He just had a whole season in the Portuguese League where he, they were in a really intense relegation battle that they, you know, his team succeeded in. So if you can bring him in, then you definitely, you know, you take that opportunity. Uh, so he he's one that was a little bit of a surprise. Julian Green. I got to say it was great to see Julian Green in there. Because, I mean, I've been, you know, I've been talking up Julian Green for some time now just because I have seen what he's been doing in Germany in terms of just continuing to evolve as a player. And this year really put it all together and be a really impressive two-way player. Because for those people who remember Julian Green as a kid, when you, you know, the World Cup Julian Green, the teenager, the Bayern Munich prospect, what people remember of him then was that, you know, he's this attacking player. With some real potential, um, but it you know he never it never seemed like he kind of realized that potential. Well, listen, he had his he's had his kind of renaissance, right? He had, he went to Grutha Firth. I don't know that's not a great pronunciation, but he went to Firth Grutha Firth, and uh, these past few years has really developed as a player, two way player, midfield, box to box midfielder, uh, and put together an, an impressive season this year to help Firth gain promotion. To the to the Bundesliga, and I don't know if American fans, I don't know if enough American fans understand just what a big deal it is that Firth gained promotion. Firth is not a big team uh, by any by any standards. Even if you look at the German second division, if you look at the standings from last season, you look at some of the teams that are that are currently in the German second division, like A Hamburg, right. Uh, Stuttgart, I believe. No, not sorry, not Stuttgart. Uh, there, there's a few teams when you look at those standings, and you're saying those are teams that I've used. I'm used to seeing in the Bundesliga. Fortuna Düsseldorf was just in the Bundesliga, and they and they fall really fallen far. A lot of bigger teams in Germany are in the German second division. And Firth, one of the smaller teams, one of the teams with 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 the smaller budgets, gained promotion. And Julian Green was a huge part of that. And when you look at the stats, when you look at the highlights, when you look at at the kind of role that he's played, I mean, he had an unbelievable season. And if you're a Greg Berhalter, playing the system that you play and having and the premium that it places on on really good box-to-box players, box-to-box midfielders in those dual ten slash dual eight roles in central midfield, how do you not bring Julian Green in? I mean, he's a perfect example of a player when you can talk about you know, he's not really old, quote-unquote. He's 26, I believe now. He He's only 26. And look at the career he's already had. And look at the years he's put in and the experiences that he's had and, the, and the, the experiences that he's gained. And now with the year that he just had, you have to give him a look. And to Greg Berhalter's credit, he brought him in in May. He brought him in for the camp before the Switzerland game. And he didn't get to play. He didn't play in that friendly, which was a little kind of surprising. You're kind of like, wait, why didn't he even get on the field? But again... It's pretty clear. Maybe Halter saw that and said, you know what? I'm going to give him a real chance down the road at the Gold Cup and really give him the opportunity to kind of showcase himself. Now, here's the tricky part. Julian Green's team just got promoted to the Bundesliga, right? Firth is in the Bundesliga. They're a smaller club. It's not like they're going out and spending $100 million to bolster their, their squad for their first season in the season of Bundesliga. So he is an important part of their setup still. So if you're Firth, you're just getting into the Bundesliga for the first time uh, or in a while. Can you afford to to have Julian Green missing your preseason? What's going on? This is a little, you know, so Firth, I'm sure, is not happy with that idea. But having said that, if you're Julian Green and I and I know for a fact, Julian Green uh, really, really like the national team means a lot to him. And, and I don't think people realize that because, you know, if anything, kind of the lasting impression of Julian Green is he's the kid that Jurgen Klinsmann brought to the World Cup. Uh, German-American who, you know, some people even thought he, he basically promised Julian Green uh, a chance to play in the World Cup. And that's how he got he can, you know, how Julian Green was convinced to switch uh, national team allegiances and play for the United States. We're talking some ancient history now. That's seven years ago. But right now, Julian Green, the national team, means a lot to him. He's wanted to be part of the national team setup for for a while now. Since Berhalter took over, Julian Green's wanted to be wanted to get back in. And what he was in before Berhalter took over, if we remember, 2018, Dave Sarich caretaker coach, he called in Julian Green, and Julian Green was looked pretty. He looked pretty good then. Yeah, we all remember he scored the goal against France. In the friendly before the World Cup. So he scored on the eventual World Cup champions, right? So that's impressive. Give him credit. And uh and then, you know, Beralta just didn't look at him after that. And, you know, I I'm I asked Greg Baralta multiple times over the year over the past couple years about Julian Green. I'd bring him up every now and then. I'm sure Baralta was getting sick of me asking about Julian Green just because he kept playing well, he kept performing, but wasn't getting a look, wasn't getting a call. Now here we go fast forward, goal cup. Perfect opportunity for Julian Green if it is worked out between burhalter U.S. Soccer, and Firth. As long as everything is okay there and no one, you know, no one's you know going crazy about it. If Julian Green's allowed to play in the Gold Cup, it's an amazing showcase for him because I personally think he will he could do very well in this in this tournament. Uh, and with his experience, I think he'd be he he'd also be a, a good locker room presence. So all signs point to. He should be part of this Gold Cup team. If he's not part of this Gold Cup team, then that tells you Firth, at the end of the day, protested enough, complained enough, and convinced Perhalter. listen, we get it. We know you want to look at him, but he means too much to us. We can't afford it. Please, please, please don't do this because this is really going to hurt. And you know what, if he ends up not starting when the season begins, it'll render it all moot because then he's not going to be, you know, you're not going to be able to have him or he's not going to be of use to you come qualifying in September, right? So that's the tricky dance that that Berhalter has to play, U.S. soccer has to play, and, and I don't think enough fans realize that, that this happened. This is the stuff that's going on behind the scenes. This is why a Eunice Musa, you know... Some people thought, oh, maybe the Gold Cup for Yunus Musa, but obviously he's going to Valencia now. Uh, going back, you know, he, he's taking part in the camp there, and he should. To be fair, Musa, as much as he had a breakout season, he's not a locked-in starter at Valencia. He he still needs to kind of fight for his role at Valencia, so he should go to preseason. He shouldn't go in this Gold Cup, as great as it would be to have Yunus Musa in the Gold Cup. You have to understand everything that that is at play there. But for me, hopefully. Julian Green is there because I think he could do well, and I think he would be a guy you want, a guy you have as as a starter. Now, in terms of people who are definitely, absolutely not going to be in the Gold Cup, one player I have to talk about, and I know some people are going to get a little, uh, you know, PTSD here or are going to cringe a little because there are there's a, a ridiculous amount of people of U.S. fans who dread Michael Bradley returning to the national team. There's just that that sentiment that you know what he's the past he's 33 why on earth would he even be part of this team or of the u.s team anymore like he should never come back and and i get that there's some people who think that he didn't even he wasn't even part of the preliminary roster which i'm sure some people took to mean that's it it's over he's never coming back burhalter has seen the light we will never see michael bradley in a u.s uniform again right not so fast my friends just because he's not on this preliminary roster does not mean we still might not see him down the road. I can tell you that. I can absolutely one hundred percent tell you that there is still that possibility down the road, and the reason being, he's he still can play a role. He absolutely can still play a role. And I know some people say, "Oh, wait, you have a, you know Tyler Adams." You, yeah, I get it. In terms of defensive midfielders, Tyler Adams is one in one a the best player in the U.S. pool at the position, right? No one can dispute that. No one should dispute that. But what also can't be disputed is Tyler Adams gets injured. Tyler Adams has been injury prone in the past. So it can't hurt to have alternatives. It can't hurt to have other options. Right. And, you know, we saw Kellen Acosta in the, in the Nations League. He showed some good things. Jackson Ewell has struggled, and already I can see the worm worm has turned on Jackson Ewell in terms of the U.S. fan base. Like, people are over Jackson Ewell. He's no good. He's no good. And all it ever takes is one or two games. You struggle a couple of games, you don't look good. That's it. People don't want, like, you know, there's no waiting. There's no wait. On to the next one. Owen o- and Oda Stand up. That That's just kind of the way it goes, right? But when you think about World Cup qualifying, World Cup qualifying is around the corner, right? And you look at that schedule. You look at how many games. And I and look, I, I'm I am i have been on the Tyler Adams bandwagon from day one. Anyone who's listened to to the show in the past, or watched the videos in the past, or have read my work in the past, you know, like I've been early, early, early on the on the Tyler Adams bandwagon, and he is the guy. But and and hopefully this isn't the case. But if forever for for any reason, if he's not available in in World Cup qualifying, if there's a if there's a window. And you have those those games and those stretches of games and you have those trips that you have to take to Central America. Look at September. You go to El Salvador, you go to Honduras, right? Not easy places to play. And if you don't have Tyler Adams, you're all of a sudden asking yourself, Well, we're gonna bring, you know, we're gonna bring in some pretty inexperienced people to play in a very important position in some very, very tough places to play, right? In those situations, how can you not at least consider Michael Bradley, as an alternative. And I know some people say, no, he's washed up. He can't move. He's not. I I saw a guy in CONCACAF Champions League uh, for Toronto FC have himself some pretty impressive games. And that showed me that, you know what? He can still play a role. He can still do a job. And you don't just throw that out because oh he's the past and he's old news. And I get it. There's a whole fan base. There's a whole segment of the fan base that is, that is young and doesn't remember the peak Michael Bradley years and doesn't remember the, the level that he played at, the high high level that he played at. And that's all well and good. You're always going to get that. But to to suggest that he can't play a role now, to suggest that he can't that if you, you know if you need a defensive midfielder down in Honduras or you know in October. On You know, in some in some setting, some World Cup qualifying setting that he knows well and he's played well in qualifying. And I know he's had his tough moments. Everyone's going to bring up Trinidad and the fact that he he was there in Trinidad when the when the U.S. was uh, eliminated from the World Cup. I get that. And he's obviously one of the poster children that, that people have adopted as the reason the U.S. did not qualify. As ridiculous as that is. I get that. There's that people. There are people who believe that. I get that. As absurd as it is. But he can still play a role. And you know what? At the end of the day, it may, it may not matter. Tyler Adams, Duncan wood. I hope he's healthy. I hope he plays every game he can play. I hope he plays all. How many? Is it 14? I hope he plays 14 qualifiers. Actually, I hope he plays 10 qualifiers. And then the last four, the U.S. has already qualified. So it won't even matter. But if Tyler Adams isn't there, you have to look at other things. And. As much as I think Weston McKinney should be Plan B, Burhalter doesn't see it that way, and McKinney doesn't seem in a hurry to play defensive midfield for the U.S. So, barring that, you have a Kellen Acosta. But then from there, what? From there, you, you, you where do you go? As much as Kellen Acosta showed some promise, and I like Kellen Acosta, and I th- and I, it's been great to see his career renaissance. And again, another example of a player who, uh, people turned on quickly. People went from oh, this kid is is the future. This kid is great. This kid, like I remember, when when in Kellen Costa's first go round with the national team, uh, when he was at FC Dallas, and there was talk about Europe and and him being this prospect, and obviously it all it kind of you know, it kind of came crashing down a bit, and you know the Europe move never happened. He ends up getting traded, uh, and a lot of it was his uh, his own doing. A lot of it was Kellen Costa's own doing. You know, did his head get a little big? Did he kind of look look too far ahead and not focus on the now? Possibly. But the great thing is Kellen Costa has, re- you know, rejuvenated his career. He's playing great. He was great in the Nations League, and now people. And now I see I see more and more people are like, ah, no, Kellen Costa is good. Well, yeah, let's get him in here. So he is an option. He is an option for defensive midfielder, but. Michael Bradley absolutely could potentially be another option. So the reason I'm even going on this whole thing is because I know there's a lot of people who just, they hate it. Right now, there are people listening to this yelling at me. There's some people pulling over right now in their cars saying, are you kidding me? Some people might have already deleted this episode once they heard me even starting my Michael Bradley conversation. I get that. I get that. But it doesn't mean I'm not going to say it because it's easy I'll tell you right now, folks, as and now that the show's back and now we're going to get things going again, I'm going to tell you straight up that this show is never going to be the tell you what you want to hear podcast because there's enough of that out there. There's enough, quote unquote, media out there, American soccer media out there that that focuses on telling you what you want to hear, telling you, hey, this 17-year-old kid is the man. This He is going to be the next Messi. He is, you know, these kids are that good. These older players are that bad. Because, they, 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 you know what? It's easy to do that. It's easy to tell people what they want to hear. And it's happening in every, it's not just a sports thing. <laughs> it's not just a sports thing. It's, uh, you know, politics, you name it. But I'm not going to do that. I'm going to try to tell you what is reality. And the reality is Michael Bradley could still play a role. And as much as some people might hate that idea, you might not hate it come October or September. When you're down in Central America, you need a result and you have a guy who has done it over and over and over, has done it dozens of times. Uh, uh, You know, a player who still has gets so much respect throughout CONCACAF, more respect in CONCACAF than he gets in the U.S., which is sad, but it's the reality. What can you do? All right, off the Michael Bradley soapbox. Uh, we should wrap up this Gold Cup conversation because I am going to talk more Gold Cup uh, in the next in the next few episodes. And as and just to uh, reiterate, the rosters are due this week. They're due June thirtieth, so we're only four days away from knowing who the final twenty three uh, player roster is. And there's some exciting players that I got to say, Caden Clark, uh, the the New York Red Bulls uh, midfielder slash uh, you know winger. He's a guy who now will he be on the team? Uh, he had apparently he had an appendectomy if he actually had one. If this isn't a story used to cover up him going to Germany to sign his contract. Uh, for those who missed it, he the long known or the long rumored transfer of Gaden Clark to RB Leipzig has now been formally announced. Caden Clark will join RB Leipzig in January uh, but he apparently just had a, uh, an appendectomy on Monday. I don't want to call it an emergency appendectomy because the team did not call it that. No one's called it that, but it just kind of feels like it came out of nowhere. And, and my, you know, my own son had an appendectomy in November. And I know how quickly, actually, no, actually it actually was November. It's been a year and a half now, but it, it, these things kind of just pop up on you. So the question is, how will his recovery go? Will he be able to be? back and fit in time for the Gold Cup so that that's the timing of it's not great hopefully he can be on the team because I think Caden Clark this Gold Cup is a great opportunity for Caden Clark to to kind of you know have his introduction into the senior team and is you know he's, he's young but I mean anyone who's watched him play this year he's he has something Caden Clark has something special to him uh and he could definitely help uh Greg Berhalter in this Gold Cup, so we'll see if he's in there. Uh, just looking through real quick, real quick. I'm going to do a more of a breakdown in the next episode. But uh, when you look at the European based players, Cameron Carter Vickers, I hope he gets he gets to be part of this Gold Cup team. Uh, Eric Palmer Brown, uh, and look, I know in terms of MLS based center backs, Miles Robinson, everyone always wants to see because he's that good, and and obviously with Atlanta United being so. In the way and not wanting to release players for national team duty, it's always kind of become a tricky thing with him. But I think Rob, Miles Robinson has a role to play um, in the full team, in the A team potentially. So that that there is there are spots available in in the first team center back pecking order, especially with Aaron Long tearing his ACL. So we'll see we'll see if uh, Miles Robinson is in there. Cameron Carter-Vickers, Eric Palmer, Brown um, center back's an interesting one. Um, right back also with Reggie Cannon being in there, it's kind of already a crowded setup, but if Cannon's part of it, then you're asking yourself, is Julian Arahu going to be the other right back? What about Aaron Herrera? What about Shaq Moore, uh, the, the, the Spanish-based right back, who, much like Julian Green, uh, did get multiple looks pre burhalter but now hasn't been in the mix. Even though he's continued to be a regular starter in the Spanish second division, you want to get a look at him. So it's interesting. There's so many right back options there. And now you have a Reggie Cannon, a guy who's already kind of proven, although he didn't start either Nations League game, which was definitely a a surprise to me. It was a surprise to me. So um, right back's another one. Uh, Just popping into the midfield, Gianluca Busio. I hope Busio gets to be part of it. He's been great this year for Sporting Kansas City. I think he could do well in Greg Berhalter's system. Uh, Christian Roldan, a player who should be and probably will be part there, but he's an example of a player that, you know, there's a good number of U.S. fans who just don't want to see him anymore, which is kind of, you know, I don't know. I think it's ridiculous, but um, he I, he's going to be there. Um, in terms of people who probably won't be there, but I would love to have seen get a look or would love to see get a look, Eric Williamson, the Portland Timbers midfielder, a player who should have been part of the Olympic qualifying setup. I think that was a travesty. Uh, Actually, you could put together a pretty decent list of players who should have been on the Olympic qualifying setup. You know that (laughs) I know that feels like such water under the bridge, such old news or such an old topic to discuss. But need I I remind you all, Olympic qualifying happened right after uh, I went off right right after the show went on the shelf. Right. Or right before the show went on the shelf and I got sick right as in the midst of the work of the Olympic qualifying tournament. So I wasn't able to discuss Olympic qualifying uh, and, and everything that happened there. I'm not going to get into all that this episode, but I will touch on it in in one of the episodes in the near future, just because it needs to be discussed. It need, a, a lot went wrong in that Olympic tournament. It was a, not a great team. Jason Christ has a lot to answer for. Um, and I would definitely like to get into that, but not this episode. But yeah, Eric Williamson should have been on there and I'd love to see him in, but I don't know if he's going to make this, this particular Gold Cup team. Forward. First name on the forward list: Josie Altador. <laughs> now, for those of you don't who haven't been keeping track or who don't follow him MLS closely, Josie Altador is with Toronto FC, but he's not with Toronto FC because he's kind of you know worn out his welcome there. He's wanted to make a move. They've wanted to move him for some time. My understanding, you know, I, I've been I had been hearing this in the preseason that they were looking for a way to move him because they you know it's you know they're ready to cut ties obviously he's on a big salary and they you know they're they were looking at other options to deal with in terms of their striker position and now he him and Chris Armas had the falling out so now he's just not even playing he's training on his own so you're asking yourself well why is the guy who's not even playing for his club team why is he even on the preliminary roster for the gold cup fair question fair question uh and it really comes down to look Greg Barhalter believes that all things being equal, if he's fit and he's available, Josie Altador is still one of the absolute best options that you can have at the striker position for for World Cup qualifying. And everything goes back to World Cup qualifying, right? So if you're Barhalter, do you bring in an Altador who hasn't been playing, do you bring him to the Gold Cup? In order to kind of help him potentially get the games he needs to get his fitness together, so you, that you can have him for World Cup qualifying. That's the idea, right? Or that's a scenario that would allow Berhalter to justify bringing in Altidore, right? But will he do it though? I don't know. I don't know. And the reason I say I don't know is because there are so many other good options when you talk about the striker position. Daryl DK being the first one, obviously Daryl DK is back in Orlando City. Um, you know, he had the great. Uh, Loan spell at Barnsley scored a bag of goals, and now there was all. And now there's all this talk about transfers and potential, uh, a potential transfer for DK in the summer. And I gotta say, as far as Dado DK goes, I, I mean, I think he's great. He, he's obviously shown quite a bit. He's just blossoming as a player. Having said all that, I just don't know if the transfer market is going to yield the offer it would take. To get Orlando City to sell, to get MLS to to sell. I mean, I know Orlando it's ultimately Orlando City's decision, but I don't see Orlando City selling DK for, you know, less than ten million, right? I know the twenty million dollar number that's out there, about the, you know, that that number was never a real thing, right? Even though Don Garber ended up putting it out there, or even though Don Garber picked it up and ran with that and called him a twenty dollar twenty million dollar player. No, Daryl Dick is not a twenty million dollar player. But if Orlando City could get $10 million, that deal's getting done. In my opinion, he absolutely, if you're Orlando City and $10 million comes is on the table, I think they're taking $10 million. But the question is, will there be a $10 million bid for a player who had a half a season, less almost less than half a season, scoring goals in the league championship? Is someone going to pay $10 million for him? That's the question. And I don't know if that's going to happen. In this environment, with the COVID and the uh, with the co- what COVID nineteen has done to the market, there's not as much big money being splashed around as there as there, ha- there there used to be. If this was three years ago, absolutely Daryl DK, ten million easy, maybe even more, twelve million. This time around, I'm not so sure. Now, bringing it all back to the point, Daryl DK should be available for the Gold Cup. Should be available for the Gold Cup, and I think you bring him in, you start him, give him the Gold Cup because he, I mean, he's just shown so much. Uh, I'd love to see him but now you have Matthew Hoppy being included as well in the Gold Cup preliminary, preliminary squad so if he's there if he's on this list that tells me Matthew Hoppy's going to get a look and he's going to be part of this Gold Cup team so is Burhalter playing DK and and Hoppy together I don't think Hoppy I don't think Matthew Hoppy's going to play up top by himself so interesting forward options enough other forward options that you so that you don't have to bring in a Josie Altador at this point. Nicholas Giacchini, another player, the, the, playing in the French second division, looked really good in the November friendlies for the U.S. He's another player. Um, so there are plenty of striker options for you not to necessarily need to bring in a Josie Altador, right? So uh, we'll see. We'll see. We'll find out in four days what Greg Berhalter does. Um, but that's we've already gone 40 minutes talking about the Gold Cup. Can you tell I'm rusty, right? Can you tell I'm rusty? All right. Well, I, I need to get rolling. I need to get rolling and um, talk about some other things here. First things first, we we do have to touch a little bit on the Nations League. Now we're almost three weeks removed from the Nations League and the U.S. Men's National Team's dramatic victory over Mexico. And I know I could do a whole hour just talking about that game and that week uh, and the events of of everything. Uh, and i'm am planning to touch on that in a, in another episode uh if if i'm going to touch on anything from the Nations league uh i could talk a little about my experience there i was uh, i was there working with cbs sports on the broadcast i uh, i actually wasn't there in my normal writer role i was there working as a researcher with the cbs sports crew working with the with the show that they they, they had the pregame show and the in-game show with, uh, with KDAP, Doakland, Dempsey, uh, Oguchi Onyewu, Charlie Davies, Moe Du, the whole crew. And it was great. It was an unbelievable experience. Definitely a different experience for me. Uh, getting away a little from my normal role as a, as a writer on site. And, uh, it was, it was fun. It was fun. It was a different world, obviously in the TV world. And, um, uh, you know, hopefully, we'll see down the road. Uh, if I if I get involved in that again, CBS Sports is uh, they have the rights to World Cup qualifying in CONCACAF in the fall, so they actually have the rights to all CONCACAF qualifiers that are not being played in the United States or Mexico. So all U.S. national team road qualifiers, except for Mexico, all Mexico. Road World Cup qualifiers, except U.S. and uh, and then everything else. So if you if you want to watch, you know, whether Jamaica or Canada, you name it, they're going to have him on there in the fall. And uh, I'm definitely looking forward to seeing how it goes. Uh, Clint Dempsey, man, he, uh, he 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 did pretty well for himself in what was his television debut. And I have to say, it was uh, it was interesting to see the the reaction to Dempsey from the fans out there, and it just kind of showed you, you know, he really is. You could argue. He is the most beloved U.S. men's national team player of all time. And you can definitely make arguments about who 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 is the best of all time, right? Because, I mean, you could, you know, have hours and hours and hours of debates about that. But I think it's pretty tough to argue against the idea that a, among U.S. fans, I just don't think there's a player more beloved than Clint Dempsey. And, and you just kind of saw, I, I saw that, I just had a at a front row seat to watch it. Uh, out there in denver and and look clint clint did great you know he he obviously you know he, he went into it nervous uh, as anyone would be even though it 's a new venture and but he he just he it was like he was a natural and it was great and uh all those guys did r- really well i thought gutchervo did well uh charlie davies obviously you know he's not a you know he 's not new to that he's he's done uh broadcast stuff uh plenty in recent years but we 'll see what that crew can do come the fall with world Cup qualifying. Um, on CBS Sports slash Paramount Plus, and you know we'll see if I'm involved in that in some capacity. So uh, you know I had a good time, I had a good time with those guys and, and that experience, and they're doing some big things there. So we'll see what goes on there. But Dempsey, man, he uh, it was it was just refreshing to kind of get his take on things, um, and I think that's I think that's what kind of on top of the fact that play, people love U.S. fans loved him as a player. I think people have been so anxious to hear from him. The fact that he just came out of the woodwork and jumps on and does TV uh, and gives his analysis uh, as much as it's look, it's his first go round, and and he's going to get better. Uh, but already as a first go round, I thought he did really great for himself, and the fans ate it up. They definitely ate it up based on the reactions and the fact that he he was trending on Twitter both days of of both uh, both match days for Nations League. So people uh, people loved it I th- you know that the reaction that you saw online uh, it was different different than, than than any American soccer broadcasts that that we've seen uh, in quite some time so we'll see how that develops how that evolves that that was just something I kind of wanted to touch on obviously I had a front row seat to the whole thing I was right there uh, on set with them and seeing them work and it was great it was a, g- a great experience and and we'll see how how they develop in the fall Um uh, Along with the U.S. team, it's you know it, we'll see how the U.S. team develops in the fall, in World Cup qualifying. But the Nations League, I'm going to I am going to get more in depth with the Nations League. I know it's like it's already three weeks. isn't three weeks long enough to wait to talk about it. I get it, I get it, folks. But I just spent 40 minutes talking about the Gold Cup uh, preliminary squad and potential for that. So I don't want to make this a nine hour episode. I'm trying to make it an hour digestible as a first step back, and then uh, the plan is to have another episode. On Monday slash Tuesday, and uh, and then I'm actually going to be going on on a bit of a, a break uh, personally, uh, just as I prepare for some for some new things in the it, come July, uh, and you'll hear more about that next episode. I'm not going to reveal anything here on this episode, but next episode I'll, I'll give you some more insight into into what I have uh, going on come July, new project, new venture. But I'll give you more about that next episode. But uh, just quick, quickly, just going over a few things: U.S. Women's National Team their Olympic roster was announced. No real surprises. Uh, Carly Lloyd made the team as much as I it, it, honestly, I just, I didn't understand the talk about how she wouldn't make the team. And I get that. Maybe she might not make the team if it's a year ago, but going right now, how do you not put her on the team? Right? I mean, she's in form. her history speaks for itself, especially in the Olympics. And look, she's, you know, she's from Jersey. So, you know, I'm a little biased on the Jersey front, but no, she's a legend and she absolutely can still do the job. As, as can a lot of most of the veterans on this team. And it's a very veteran team. And I got to say, I was a little surprised by the reaction in some circles to the fact that this was an older team. And it just kind of opened my eyes to the reality that people always want the new thing. They always want the new player, the young player. And, and this even applies to a world championship team, right? I mean, I get it when it's a team that's kind of okay. Or a team that hasn't won much or anything, then you kind of understand like why people are like wanting to jump to the next generation or wanting to jump to the new faces and the young players. But when it's the reigning world champions, you're still complaining that it's an older team. You're still complaining that it's a squad made up of 17 players. 17 of the 18 players were part of the World Cup team, World Cup champion team, and you're complaining because there's not. It's not young enough. It's too old. they like. These, these are the champions These are the reigning world champions I know there's some questions In terms of you know, injuries and players coming back Tobin Heath, is it a bit of a risk that she was picked Even though she hasn't played in months I get that But I also understand the logic If you're, if you're Vladko Andonovski, And you can bring Tobin Heath into your camp See where she is And if it isn't going to work Or if physically it doesn't look like she is going to contribute Or be able to contribute at a high enough level You can make a change then That's pretty simple it's pretty simple. You, you you bring her in first, and if it doesn't work, then you then you replace her. Pretty much like the U.S. men's national team did in the Nations League with Tyler Adams. And I know at that point it was kind of like, why did they keep him on the team if he's not going to play? And then he didn't play against Honduras, and you're kind of like, what is going on here? And guess what happens? He comes on against Mexico, does a great job, helps them win that game. And obviously, the U.S. women, and Andonovsky's looking at to- to- Tobin Heath, and he knows what she can do when she's healthy. Now he has a chance to, he, now he buys himself more time and see if she can play and contribute. And if she can't, then you go bring in a Lynn Williams, a Katerina Macario, and then we'll see. Uh, in terms of some of the other decisions there, Emily Sonnet over Mitch Purse. Uh, that was one of the decisions. Uh, and you kind of can understand it. I mean, I think Sonnet is a little bit more versatile. Uh, they're both versatile, to be fair. And Mitch Percy, you can't go wrong with her. She's a quality player also. Even though know, she, wasn't, she wasn't chosen as an alternate, ultimately. Um, but still, Emily Sonnet, solid pick. And then you had uh, Christy Mewis over Macario, which I think, if you're looking at form, you understand Mewis over Macario. Macario has the upside. She's the future star. She's dynamic. When she's on, she's amazing. She can. But with the women's national team, she hasn't quite shown that That. That. Star quality yet, or hasn't shown. She hasn't dom- been able to dominate, even though, like, with in France with Lyon, she obviously you know was rolling toward the end of that season in, in France, crushing it on the, one of the best teams in the world. So, you know, look, she can play, she is as good as we think she is. But maybe at this point, internationally in her career, you can understand why you go with Amuse, who's in better form over Macario, who is still kind of in, on the international front, still kind of developing. Um, so I, I get that for sure although Makaira is an alternate and I'm sure Andonovsky he understands that she's she's the future she's the future of the team and as old as, old, <laughs> as experienced and as aging as this team is and, and some people are really were going going crazy about that idea how old this team is if there's an opportunity to put Makaria on this team I have to think Andonovsky will just because you know what give her that experience in these Olympics and then come the next World Cup Macario is absolutely for my if you're asking me if I could bet money I would bet money Macario is a starter and key impact player on the next World Cup team for the women US women absolutely it's going ha- to in my opinion it's going to happen but the Olympics you know I understand why he he chose Mewis over her but still hopefully you know what she's an alternate anything can happen if someone needs to be replaced she's right there and I have a feeling if Macario ends up on this team she's going to make an impact as much as she hasn't quite really crushed it with the women, with the women's national team, I think if you put her on that stage in the Olympics, you give her that opportunity, she is going to crush it. But we'll see. We'll see. Because right now she's an alternate. U.S. women absolutely should still win the Olympics, right? I mean, I, I know there's the questions, oh, it's an aging team. What if these players can't recover? Or what if, you know, Julie? You know, obviously Julie Ertz is another player who, look, she, she is going to be on the team. She's going to be in the lineup, uh, you know, even though she's had these injury issues recently. She's too good. How do you not bring her? Just like Tobin Heath. How do you not give her a chance? Bring her in, see how she looks, and if it's not gonna work physically, then you replace her. Like I don't I, I had absolutely zero problems with Vladko I, I, I didn't and I had zero problems with Vladko decisions on this squad. And it was surprising to me to see some of the kind of negative reactions and even some suggestions that, oh, maybe he doesn't get to pick the team himself. Maybe, you know, there's forces at play here that are making him pick. It's like it's unbelievable. The tinfoil hat conspiracies are not limited to the men's national team, clearly, in terms of the fan bases. Even on the women's side, you're going to have those who who just can't understand that maybe what you want is it necessarily like it doesn't have to be. What you want. It doesn't have to be the players that you want or that you maybe feel more of a connection to. And that's understandable. There's obviously some younger U.S. women's fans who want to see these newer faces, who want to see Lynn Williams, Sophie Smith, uh, some of the younger generation, Macario, because that's who they, you know, they may have more of a connection with. Maybe they, didn't, they weren't watching when Carly Lloyd was winning gold medals in, in years gone by. So they, they don't connect with her, much like on the men's side. You have generations of fans who didn't see Michael Bradley score two goals against Mexico in qualifying, or score that goal in the World Cup against uh, against Slovenia. Like, they weren't there for that. So they don't have the connection. To, to them, Michael Bradley's just his old guy. And just like to some U.S. women's fans, Carly Lloyd is, quote-unquote, a has-been, or quote-unquote, old news, right? It happens. You're always going to get that. But people need to chill out with some of these conspiracy theories about You know, random unknown forces being the ones really picking teams. That's that that I've I've always got a good chuckle out of that one. But look, this the U.S. women should win. Uh, It's not a gimme, but when you look at the field and you look at the fact that teams like France and Spain are not in this competition, there's still some good teams. Great Britain, uh, Netherlands. There are some good teams in this competition. So the U.S. if they play badly. And, and you know, a team like Great Britain or a team like uh, Netherlands plays well. They can absolutely lose. But my money's on the U.S. women because they, they're they a championship team. They know how to win. They know how to perform in big tournaments, and they should do it once again. Now, a couple of quick ones I need to get to uh, before we wrap this up. Hopefully, we're closing in on an hour. I definitely wanted to talk about the Hall of Fame. The 2021 Hall of Fame class was announced, and Christy Pierce-Rampone and Steve Charundalo. Were the were the two that were voted in there were some others that were selected uh through other committees including Jaime Moreno uh as well as uh, I believe Kevin Payne was also included the the, the former DC United uh, president so but I, I definitely wanted to talk about Chrissy Rampone and Steve runndelow because uh for for one Steve trundelow just excited for him and just it felt a bit of a relief I gotta say because I have felt for so long now that he should be in I think he should have been voted in by now. And if he hadn't made it this time around, it would not have looked good for him going forward just because of the players that are coming in after and the voting system and set up the way it is. uh, It it can get, it can be really tough. And I, full disclosure, I obviously am, uh, you know, I am part of the committee. I was on the committee, uh, that selected that voted on this, and it was a you know, it, there was some it was a good group of, of people involved in that process. When, when I still remember the zoom, the zoom call we had, uh, the final zoom call we had, and, and you're talking about, I mean, you know, Abby Wambach and Eric Winalda and uh, you name Casey Keller, and and you know the, the these types of uh, you know Ted Ramos, you name it. It was a good group. That that was in the selection process, Jill Ellis. Uh, so it, it w- I thought it was a pretty thorough process. But, you know, there are some limitations in terms of just the voting structure. You weren't going to get an, an eight person class. You weren't going to get a six person class. It was going to be probably one or two people. And you can't for me, you can't go wrong with the two that were chosen. Um, and I know the one person who didn't make it who for my money absolutely should be in the Hall of Fame but who didn't make it was Hope Solo and I know there was there was definitely some uh, there were definitely some complaints and some hammering about that you know how does Hope Solo not get in uh, you know amazing player in her day you know top you know best goalkeeper in the world part of championship teams and, and the like when it came down to it once Christy Pier- once Christy Pierce Rampone was there on on the ballot it was going to be that much tougher for Solo in this particular class just because It's tough to get multiple people in just because of the structure and the percentages. And when it comes down to it, there are people, there are voters who are still looking at her and saying, you know what? She was a great player, but the other stuff, the off field stuff, uh, they're going to hold that against her. And they're going to hold what, you know, the perceptions of her as a bad teammate against her. And, uh, you know, she she's a bit of a controversial figure. And I know the hope solo supporters, the the people who really believe solo should get, should be in or the most, the most adamant of those supporters are going to say, well, no, it's because she's a strong minded person and because she's outspoken and she speaks her mind and people hold that against her. Honestly, I don't really see that at all. I don't think that's that at all. Right. I I really don't. Um, The, the process is flawed. I will say that in, in terms of the voting structure, uh, the way it's weighted. And, and also it, you know, it, it's pretty clear that, There are, there are kind of voting, I don't want to say clicks, but there, you know, when it comes down to it, you're going to have some voters, or you do have some voters who are more in line with, or or closer tied to the women's game, some are closer tied to the men's game. There's going to be certain voters who, who, you know, might only pick one player when they should pick two. Obviously, there's some voters who had issues with Solo in terms of her non-playing career. Because I don't know how you could argue Hope Solo's playing career and say she shouldn't be in the Hall of Fame. She should be absolutely in Hall of Fame when you look at her resume just as a player. Absolutely. No doubt about it, in my opinion. But some people look at everything else and all the other stuff and the you know the legal issues, the legal troubles and, and, and all that. And say it's very problematic and the Hall of Fame should be about more than just your playing career. That's what it comes down to. And not everyone agrees with that. Some people say, I don't care what they did. I don't care about the off-the-field stuff. It's what matters is, is what you did as a player. Unfortunately for Hope Solo, not everyone agrees with that. Not everyone feels that way, and they're going to hold it against her. Me personally, I would like to see her get in eventually. She was on my ballot. That's uh, I'll say that right there. She was on my ballot. W- I, could some people have voted, put a ballot out that was that only said Christy Rampone? Possibly. I don't think there were many ballots that said just Steve Terundolo that much. I I feel pretty confident about, but it's pretty clear that there were some in the, in that quote unquote, the women's soccer voting setup that still have an issue with Hope Solo. I don't think Hope Solo's exclusion was because of, of the men's soccer leaning voters. I just don't, I don't think that I think it really, and I, I don't have access to the ballots, but that's just kind of my opinion on it. Hopefully she gets in. Hopefully she gets in eventually. Um, but for me, I choose to look at the positive. And for me, it's positive and it's great that Chrissy Rampone is on there. She absolutely had to be. She's made, her career is amazing. You can't. Yeah, and again, also from Jersey. So, you know, like I'm a little biased. But she had to be there. And Steve Trondolo absolutely had to be there. A uh, Super underrated player. Unbelievable career in Europe. And an underrated and important part of the U.S. men's national team. And the, for me, the best part about that whole thing is the fact that Carlos Bocanegra was voted in in 2020 when Toronto should have been voted in. And if, you know, their best friend, their long, lifelong friends, very, very close friends. I don't know if they're best friend, like I've heard them called best friends, but they're pretty damn close friends. And the fact that now they're going to go in together. The 2020 and 2021 classes will go in together this year. You're going to get Trundleau and Bocanegra going in together. And I think that's amazing. I love that. That's, I, you know, I don't know if I'm going to be there in, in in Texas for the induction ceremony, but I'm going to, I'll be somewhere watching it. And I think that's going to be great to see Bocanegra and Trundleau Going together, that's going to be the highlight for me to see. So we'll see, you know. And and last thing, hats off to the voter, the voters, and hats off to the people involved in the selection process for the Hall of Fame. It's a thankless endeavor, but they are working to make it better. And I do think it has gotten better, much better. It had serious issues in years past. They are working to make it better. And the people that are involved now and the people, like the, the, the voting committee, cause I know there were years past where I'm like, who's getting votes here? I don't know about the people getting votes here, but i tell you what, when I looked at the committee that now and the, you know, when I like talking about that zoom call, if, if I could, you know, I wish I had the list in front of me of the people that were on that call, a pretty damn impressive group of people. Uh, I don't know why they had me on there, but an impressive group of people. And it's good to see. Uh, it's such important people in American soccer work together to improve something that absolutely needs to be done right the Hall of Fame needs to be done right and I think they're working to get to that point so hats off to everybody and I think we're wrapping it up pretty much to, I think we've passed an hour a little bit more than an hour apologies for the length and apologies if it's a little it drags on a little bit we'll get better we're gonna have a knock on wood hopefully we're gonna have a guest for the next episode for Monday slash Tuesday and then after i go away from my break when i come back come july things are going to ramp, i'm ramping things up let's just say that in terms of the episodes we are going to at least have two a week at least uh i'm not going to commit to more than that until we get the, the workflow going and 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 what have you but i really am i'm really i am anxious to get the show rolling and get the guests on and we we we're, we were starting to get there we were, we were, i thought we had some pretty good guests on before we went on the hiatus And now I think, you know, I think we're going to be able to have some pretty good guests on once we get back rolling again. And, uh, you know, definitely thank you for listening. I think we've covered everything. I'm not getting into MLS, uh, just the the nuts and bolts of MLS right now, just because when this is dropping is just before uh, a, a pretty Busy MLS match night and I'm not even gonna get into the games I'll get into MLS more next episode uh, as we catch up on who's doing well uh, a little bit about the past weekend's performances and uh, you know just try to dig in some of the tops some of the top storylines in MLS it's a lot tougher to dig into MLS in an episode of a podcast now that there are 27 teams because how do you not turn it into an hour, an hour and a half long MLS segment? It's like, you, honestly, you need your own show and maybe I need to do that. Maybe I need to do a separate MLS specific, uh, podcast. I think that might be an idea. might be an idea. Something to keep in mind. Uh, but I think that's it. I think I've covered everything that I, I, I can cover now just to kind of keep it concise, uh, an hour ish. Uh, definitely, I think we covered a decent amount. And again, my apologies if it dragged on, if it's not enough of a, you know, kind of variety. We don't we didn't have any guests. We will fix that. We will alleviate that. It will get better. I promise you that. Uh, but I think that's all for now. Um, for me, I, I'm feeling pretty good. I'm just glad to get it rolling again. I, you don't understand how, how kind of frustrating it's been for me to, to kind of not not get things going again. And I know I feel like I'm letting everyone down. The fact that we did get put on the shelf. I know. Look, obviously unforeseen circumstances, uh, with me getting sick, but I'm back and i'm ready to go and and keep just keep listening and and i definitely am looking for feedback from everybody on on the show let me know what you like you don't like what you want to hear what you like before we stopped who you would like to see on as guests because i have a pretty good list of people that i'm planning to hit, hit up very shortly to be on so uh stay tuned for all that uh, but i think that's all for now uh and once again thank you for listening and make sure check it out on monday the next episode should drop If not Monday, absolutely by Tuesday. Um, It depends on when we can get our guests, because I'm working on a pretty good guest for the next episode. But that's all for now. I'm Ivy Galarsec. This is The SBI Show.